Our good word today is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Now, you dear people have patiently been traveling with me through the first two chapters of 1 Thessalonians. I trust that our uh, journey has not been boring. There are so many wonderful bypaths of blessing in the Word of God that I like to uh, walk on some of them. Some months ago, my wife and I were privileged to spend a week in the Smoky Mountains down in Gatlinburg. And one of the great joys of the week was to just go on some of the little bypaths, not to drive the main highways, but to park the automobile and uh, do some walking on the trails and make a few trails of our own. We need to do this in the Word of God. And I like to do this as we study together on what's the good word. Now, we've reached chapter 3, and at each of these chapter divisions, I like to review where we've been and where we're going. Please keep in mind that in chapters 1, 2, and 3, the Apostle Paul is remembering. We give thanks remembering. And in chapter 1, he remembers how the church was born. In chapter 2, how the church was nurtured. And now in chapter 3, he talks about how the church was established. That is, established in the faith. Uh, The New Testament uses the word confirmed. Now, some churches have a ritual or a sacrament or rite called confirmation. The word firm is right in the middle of it. Confirm, to make strong, to help stand. And so in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is talking about this matter of establishing the Christians. Now, in chapter 1, we saw that the second coming of Jesus was connected with salvation. In every chapter in 1 Thessalonians, Paul ends the chapter with a reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ. I would like to spend some time with that right now, but I'll not. Oh, that people would today live in the light of his coming. And in chapter 1, he relates the second coming of Jesus Christ to salvation. In chapter 2, he relates the second coming of Jesus Christ to service. Verses 19 and 20, what is our hope or our joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Must I go and empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior so? Not one soul with which to greet him. Must I empty-handed go? Now in chapter 3, Paul relates the second coming of Jesus Christ to stability, to stability. Verses 12 and 13, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you, to the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Now, Stability. I want to talk for just a a while about this matter of Christians being established. You see, Paul had to leave Thessalonica. If you'll go back to the book of Acts, you'll get the whole story, and it's a very fascinating story. In chapter 17 of the book of Acts, as you know, in chapter 16, Paul and Silas and Timothy had been in Philippi. And while at Philippi, they were, Paul and Silas were, were treated so badly by the Roman rulers. They were beaten and thrown in prison. But because of this, the jailer was saved. After the trouble was all over, Paul and Silas and Timothy left Philippi. In chapter 17 of the book of Acts, they went down to Thessalonica. And Paul preached for probably a month in Thessalonica. And once again, trouble came. He had started a church there in Thessalonica. And trouble came and Paul had to leave. 
So in verse 10 of chapter 17 of Acts, And the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. Well, the Jews in Thessalonica came back down to Berea and caused trouble. And so in verse 14, the brethren from Berea sent Paul away, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. And uh, Paul went down to Athens, and he wanted Silas and Timothy to join him down there. Now, actually, what he did was to have Timothy go back to Thessalonica. If you'll read the rest of the account, you'll find this out. And so Paul is saying in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. Apparently, Timothy and Silas came down to Athens, but Paul was so concerned about the new Christians in Thessalonica, he said, look, you leave me here alone and you go back and find out what's going on and help those Christians. Now, the people at Thessalonica had been saved just a short time, less than two months. Now, you can imagine what spiritual condition a Christian would be in having been saved only two months, plus all the persecution that was going on around them. So Paul was concerned about these infant Christians. Now, in chapter 1, he told us how these people were born into the family. In chapter 2, how he, for those few short weeks, had nurtured them as a faithful steward and a gentle nursing mother, as a concerned father and a loving brother, how he had nurtured them, but now he had to leave them. Now, this raises a very interesting point that needs to be emphasized today. Christians cannot build their lives on the preacher. There's too much of this. At some point in his Christian life, a believer has to be weaned away from other people. Now, I thank God for those that he's privileged me to win to the Lord. And I know there's a special relationship between a man and those that he's won to Christ. But you know, dear people, we have to be very careful lest we build our Christian lives on one another. In the previous church that I pastored, prior to coming to Calvary Baptist Church, a lady said to me, Oh, Brother Wiersbe, if you ever leave this church, I'm leaving too. And I said to her, You know, that's no compliment. And she said, What do you mean? I said, You're saying that your Christian life depends upon who the preacher is. And I would to God that you were weaned away from the preacher and you were walking with the Lord. Now, this is what Paul sought to do in chapter 3. He tried to get them to stand on their own two feet, with the help of the Lord. You see, over in chapter 4, Paul's going to start using a new word. It's the word walk. Chapter 4, verse 1, how ye ought to walk and to please God. Chapter 4, verse 12, that ye walk honestly toward them that are without. And so the whole theme of chapters 4 and 5 is walking. Now, if you'll compare 1 Thessalonians to a little child, you'll see how it works. In chapter 1, the child is born. In chapter 2, the child is nurtured. In chapter 3, the child is taught how to stand. In chapters 4 and 5, the child is taught how to walk. Now, this is the way churches go, and this is the way Christians go. We thank God for those that we've had the privilege of winning to Christ. You win them, that's chapter 1. You nurture them, that's chapter 2. You feed them the Word. You spend time with them. Spiritually speaking, you change the diapers and you you burp them and you help them and you encourage them. That's chapter 2. And then chapter 3, you teach them how to stand. And this is a hard thing because a baby loves to be carried. And some Christians never do grow up. They love to be carried around. 
They don't like to be put down to stand on their own two feet. Now, the Lord has a way of making Christians learn how to stand on their own two feet. He sends affliction. He sends difficulty. Now, I'm sure that a child does not enjoy learning how to walk. I don't remember learning how to walk. I remember seeing my four children learn how to walk. I recall my father uh, encouraging our oldest boy to take his first steps. There's something that grandpas can do that fathers can't do. It's a difficult thing for a child to be weaned, and it's a difficult thing for a child to learn how to walk. There are bumps and scrapes and bruises and maybe stitches, perhaps even broken bones. But children have to learn how to walk. You can't carry them around forever. And Christians, church members, need to learn how to walk. But before they can learn how to walk, they have to learn how to stand. And this is what chapter 3 is all about, the stability of the Christian life. Please notice verse 2. He said, I thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and I sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to encourage you concerning your faith. There's that word establish. Down in verse 8, For now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. Down in verse 13, To the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness. In verse 10, Night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Over and over again, he talks about their faith in verse 2, to encourage you in your faith. Down in verse 5, he said, I'm concerned that I might know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor has been in vain. Down in verse 7, Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. Down in verse 10, that we might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. So you see, the thing that keeps us standing is faith. Back in Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is talking about this whole experience of being saved. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. And so the Christian's standing is very important. A Christian has to learn how to stand. Now, I don't know who's listening to me today, but I want to ask you this question. Do you know how to stand? Does somebody have to prop you up all the time? Now, there are some people who, because of physical affliction and handicap, must be held up. But this is something that's unusual. God has ordained that people, Christians, should learn how to stand. And this is his theme in chapter 3, how to bring them to the point of spiritual stability. Now, I want to review the chapter, and then I want to talk about this matter of being established in the faith. How did Paul establish these believers in the faith? How did he do it? Well, first of all, he sent them a man. He sent Timothy. Now, we as Christians have the responsibility of establishing one another. I'll talk more about that in a future lesson. So, he sent them a man. Secondly, he wrote them a letter. We're studying the letter right now, 1 Thessalonians, and then he wrote 2 Thessalonians. We are established through the Word of God, the man of God and the Word of God. The third thing he did is he prayed for them. He sent them a man, verse 2. He wrote them a letter, and then he prayed for them. In verses 10 through 13, night and day praying exceedingly. 
Now, this is how we establish people. I may be speaking to some pastors now, or Sunday school teachers, or deacons. We have the responsibility of helping to establish these new believers in the things of the Lord, enabling them to stand by themselves. They'll never be able to walk until they learn how to stand. How do we do it? Number one, we have to send them a man. Now, that man may have to be you. The pastor has the responsibility of helping these babies to mature. We'll talk more about this later. But God sends them a man. Secondly, God gives them a message. That's the word of God. And thirdly, God raises up people to pray for them. Do you pray for new converts? Do you have in your little prayer book a list of people who have just recently been saved? Oh, how important this is. There's nothing more important than praying for new converts and encouraging them. Now, let's talk for a little while about this matter of being established. You see, if a person is not established, then he's going to be easily moved. For example, in verse 3, Paul says that no man should be moved by these afflictions. The word afflictions there means pressures and burdens. A person who's newly saved isn't able to face a lot of the pressures and burdens of life. Some people are moved by false doctrine. Over in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about this very thing. Ephesians chapter 4 Verse 14, that we henceforth be no more little children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Now, there are all kinds of winds of doctrine blowing these days. And if we are established in the faith, we won't be moved by affliction, and we won't be moved by false doctrine, we won't be moved by disappointment. We'll talk more about this next time. My name is Warren Wearsby. I'm the pastor of the Calvary Baptist Church in Covington, Kentucky. The program is What's the Good Word? And the Lord willing, we'll continue at this point in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, the next time we are together. I suggest you take time to read this passage until we meet again on What's the Good Word?